Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Texas this weekend for UFC 277, headlined by a pair of title fights that we could not be more jacked up about. We'll be breaking down those as well as one of our other favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this upcoming weekend. In addition to that, we'll be talking to two of the fighters who are on the card. Kicking off the show this week is Orion Koske, who's getting ready to fight Blood Diamond, and Adam Fugit, who is taking a very late notice fight here. He only found out about it last Wednesday. He's going to be fighting this upcoming weekend against Michael Morales. We're talking to him about the craziness of this past week. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas, where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there this week and every week there's a UFC event, you can check out my bonus pick that you can only find on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Ryan Kowski, who fights Blood Diamond at UFC 277, that fight on July 30th. So, Ryan, I wanted to start here. This fight has been canceled a couple of times already, once for you, once for him. You've been on the shelf for about a year at this point. How frustrating has it been not being able to get back in there after your first fight? Uh, Very frustrating. Obviously, things didn't go my way from the last time, but... uh... You know, that's just kind of how it is. I've had a stunt before where I was out of the fly game for about a year and a half because I just, you know, would have injuries, had a car accident and stuff like that. And it just kept going and going. So it's kind of like that feeling again. But, um, you know, I feel fully recovered. I feel a lot better. And I'm looking forward to being able to put on a show for the fans next Saturday. When I was going to ask you that, too, like some fighters have said, you know, that the time away is really frustrating. Sometimes people say that it gives them a chance to focus on their game. I mean, part of the trouble with this is you've been in fight camp most of the time. Do you feel like it's been good for you as a martial artist or do you feel like, you know, it's kind of some of that time lost? Oh, you know, I feel like it's good. I'm still young. So I'm one of those guys who's in the game right now. I'm young in the game. I got plenty of years left to go, and uh, I'm just going to look to be able to do what I can for the sport. And what I mean by that is, you know, hopefully not getting any injuries. But if I do have an injury, I'm still going to, you know, take that time to recover, make sure I'm doing what I need to do in order to get better as a missed martial arts athlete and improve my game anywhere that I can. The main thing for me would be anytime I get focused, I'm still, you know, watching video, watching the fights, trying to pick and choose. Um, if I can't do physical training, I'm doing mental training. That way I can try to ingrain it into my body, stuff like that. But I also 
if I am injured, I'll recover, and then I'll do what I can MMA-wise, strengthening, uh, conditioning-wise, as always. So coming into this fight, like I said, I'm completely healthy. The last fight, I had a um, what is it, a muscle contusion in the right arm. So the right arm was just going numb the entire time. But no excuses. Hats off to Phil. I, I definitely want to run that back uh, in the future for sure. He's been doing great ever since then. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to this fight coming up next Saturday, though. No no injuries, no illnesses, and I'm hoping that uh, Blood Diamond's coming in 100% healthy, too. Absolutely. Now, it's kind of an interesting situation. As I mentioned, you, you've kind of been in fight camp for this guy for a while, right? It's, it's almost like three or six months, rather, uniquely getting ready for the same exact guy. Do, do you feel like you have some sort of intimate knowledge of this dude at this point? How, how much film have you watched on him at this point? Um, that's actually a good question because there's not really too much to watch on him. I think my brother, uh, found like an old fight video he had where he was fighting in the Singapore circuit and he ended up getting a submission win, but the guy didn't really look like he knew what he was like. He got caught in an arm throw, but then the guy kind of just stopped on the ground and blood diamond took his back and uh, choked him out. But then last fight he came in, uh, he saw his opponent, you know, slip against the cage or trip. And then when he went for that leading, like, knockout left hook, it didn't work out in his favor. So, you know, his ground game, I know it's not the best. They're going to be looking to try to keep the fight standing the entire time. But, I mean, I, I definitely respect his stand-up, though. He's a very heavy striker, decorated in the New Zealand, uh, in the Singapore region uh, circuit. I know that he made it onto a couple of huge promotions as a kickboxer, and there's plenty of kickboxers that speak very highly of him due to his striking so i'm going to go out there and use my striking and my uh, grappling to the best of my knowledge as a pure mma athlete that way i can be able to uh, finish the fight wherever i love it now you mentioned your brother in there too and i know he's getting ready for a fight at the almost the same exact time he'll be a couple of months after you i i know you guys train mostly at different facilities but i saw you at the performance institute together how much like of that game planning type stuff do you guys do together? Uh, you know, like sharing of videos and, and sending each other stuff. We don't do any of that shit. We just train. <laughs> uh, I think too many fighters nowadays, they watch too much video and they uh, depend on watching that video. Like, it's good if you're going to go against a fighter who you can tell like every fight they do the same thing over and over and over again. But then you get too caught up in watching those videos where you're supposed to be going into this fight working on yourself and how you're going to be able to counteract your opponent. So if your opponent's a heavy wrestler but has good striking, you should know, like, hey, they have good wrestling. They're going to use it to set up their striking and take me out. Just lower my stance a little bit to let them know, like, hey, I've been working on my ground or something like that. But a lot of fighters have different ways of doing it. Like, for me, I'll watch a couple of videos and I won't dwell on that. I'll see what I need to see. But most people, once they make it to the UFC, they are going to stay um, with how they got to the UFC. So if a striker got to the you know UFC because of his boxing, he's probably going to use his hands a lot and not really so much his hip boxing if he's heavy boxing oriented versus like a grappler who depends on getting the fights to the ground because his hands aren't as good. So they're going to use their striking to set up, you know, the takedowns against the cage or out in the open space. That way they have a better chance of winning. So it's pretty simple to read a lot of these opponents nowadays. But, yeah, no, I'm not trying to focus too much on uh, watching footage. It just, you can get too caught up in that. It's good to watch every now and then. 
to like remind yourself like hey like he does this uh and you'll follow up with that and he has a tendency of doing that like noticing those little things you can counteract for but you shouldn't be watching footage over and over and over again i don't think so once again you're fighting at ufc 277 it's a huge event in front of a live crowd in texas uh you know you've obviously fought in the apex a couple of times as well like what does it feel like knowing you're going to have that big crowd feel? Are you, you a guy who feeds off that or are you a guy who doesn't care? Oh, it's going to be way better. It's going to be way better here in the crowd. Um, I'm used to fighting in front of big crowds, obviously not as big as this, but I'm not going to let it get to me. I, I really don't care how many people are going to be there. Uh, I know a lot of people don't usually show up for the early prelims, but those people are usually missing out because they're pre-gaming and getting pretty drunk or they're just <laughs> not interested. But a lot of the early prelims and the prelim fights are usually fun to go to. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be nice having a, a crowd in an arena again. And it's going to be a very different feel being in, like, a giant stadium. But, you know, I fought in Cal Palace in San Francisco before. Uh, I fought in front of at least, you know, over a 1,000 fans pretty easily so i'm not too worried about the fan base like i said i don't really fight for the fans i fight for myself and then i just hope that because i go and look for a finish that the fans you know approve of it but we'll see what happens um i don't know blood diamond he fought in front of a huge crowd in houston when we were supposed to originally fight i would have liked to have that singapore card but things happen and i'm glad to hear that a uh, blood diamond is recovered and ready for this one so I think we're both just ready to go put on a fun show for the fans. For sure. And let, let's get right down to it then. I always like to ask my fighters before I let them go for a prediction. You know, you mentioned he's a guy who's got really powerful striking, but you feel comfortable mixing it up both ways. How do you see this one ending on July 30th? I see myself getting the finish. Um, you know, I, I rewatched my fight with Phil Rowe, and if I wasn't so focused on my stupid-ass right arm going numb the entire time in that second round, uh, I probably would have focused more on realizing I had him hurt <laughs> when he had me hurt as well. But like I said, it's a fight game, so anything can happen. But I'm going to go out there, and I truly believe I have what it takes to get the finish uh, in the early round. And if not in the first round, then I'm looking for the uh, finish in the second or the third. I mean, I'm always going to be looking for the finish. So the fighters never have to worry about me being a boring fighter, that if I'm up two rounds to none, to just go out there and take him down and get the win. I'm, I'm going to look for the finish no matter what. I want to be dominant. I don't want to be known as the fighter who coasts to a win. Well, we are absolutely looking forward to seeing it. Once again, fans, this has been Orion Koski who fights Blood Diamond at UFC 277. That fight, July 30th. Orion, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you after the fight. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Orion Koske. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, there, there's so much to unpack from UFC London. Most of it, not very good. So I'm going to start with the worst of all of it. And, and that's the main event, which lasts just 15 seconds. I, I want to get your take on this. What the hell do we do with Curtis Blades now that he walks out of this fight that seemingly could have catapulted him to the title shot we all kind of wanted to see him or Tom Aspinall get. And now, do neither of them get it? Yeah, I would say neither of them get it, just because the problem with Curtis Blades, and we are massive Curtis Blades fans here, is he has not proven or shown anything that would make me think he can finally topple Francis Ngannou, who he has losses to in the past. 
his best bet at a title shot is Naganu losing his title, quite frankly, and then he would be the first in line. Or, 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 retire, or retiring or leaving the UFC to go box or sure. something like that. Yep, yeah, something yep, like that. Yep, exactly. Uh, and that being said, um, you know, you don't get that third crack at Francis off a fluky injury. He needs to be rematched. I guess it all depends on, is there any report on, could they just rematch Aspinall? Like, what's the report on his knee? Do we know? It, it, I, I haven't seen anything definitive yet, but it doesn't sound good. I would say that. I, I would say it sounds quite bad. Um. Okay, so it won't be him, but uh, he needs to be matched up with someone else, and he needs some sort of highlight reel. You know, I'd like to see him rematch Derek Lewis, and we'll talk about him a little later, uh, but... I would like to see him rematch Derek Lewis and avenge that one other loss in his career. The only other person I could think of, too, just off the top of my head, would be Tai Tuivasa, who's surging right now and on a win streak. The, the winner, uh, he's he's fighting surreal gain. The the winner of that would make a lot of sense. Okay, so there you go. The winner of uh, surreal gain and Tai Tuivasa would be my answer. What about you? Yeah, I think I like that one. I mean, I, I also just have no problem with, like, if contract negotiations. Uh, it's seeming like they're they're trying to set up an interim title fight between John Jones and Stipe Miocic. If contract negotiations break down there somewhere or somebody gets hurt, like, I have no problem with him filling in to fight one of those two guys. Like, sign me up for that. But, like, you, you're, you're right. The bottom line is, you know, the winner of Tuivasa, Surreal Gain's a good fight. You know, filling in for that interim title fight's a good fight. Um, fighting Derek Lewis again, I, if Derek Lewis gets by Sergey Pavlovich this weekend, which we'll talk about momentarily. Yeah. Right there. I, I mean, like, I guess if Pavlovich beats Derek Lewis, maybe even Pavlovich, um, mm. but like, yeah, there, there, there's plenty of options for him, but yeah, like it, it doesn't look like Tom Aspinall. It doesn't look like Francis Ngannou. It, it looks like it's going to be something else. Maybe fresh, maybe not, but, uh, yeah, what an unfortunate ending. Well, I'll tell you what it does look like. It's Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 277, our favorite segment on the show. We're going to break down a couple of fights, give you a live dog and a parlay to play. But Gumby, before we get into it, one may wonder if any company is sponsoring this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you all of his full breakdowns, parlays, and his official bets. But that's not all. For the same great price, you also get his brand new base AI prediction software, which they have been tweaking. It's got advanced algorithms that give you percentages for every possible outcome in every UFC fight. They got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy one, if that's your gig. So check them out at MMAplay365.com. And don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package, which is already pretty damn affordable to begin with. And that's a deal you can't afford to pass up. MMA Play 365. We love MMA Play 365. Packages of all lengths and sizes. Okay, let's get to fights, dogs, and parlays for UC277. And we got a banger of a rematch for the women's uh, 135-pound title. Amanda Nunes lost her title to Juliana Pena. Nunes lost to Katzengano back in 2014 and went on a 12-fight win streak of his historic proportions um not only did she win the 135 pound title she won the 145 pound title lol by beating cyborg who many had called the goat but clearly amanda nunez is now the goat of female fighting with wins over the likes of holly Holm, chris cyborg ronda racy ronda rousey misha tate and valentina shevchenko 
That is uh, women's MMA royalty, and she beat them all. And she beat Amanda Nunes in the first round of their fight back in December, but then crashed. Something happened, and I don't know if uh, she's ever released I, to her credit, I don't see many excuses coming from her, but it almost seems like, did she have the flu? Did she have a training problem? Because she just, her cardio died out in round two. And while she lost via rear naked choke, it was really uh, some really high level striking on Juliana Pena's part that caught her in that round two and led to Pena winning the title. Pena, to her credit, beat the GOAT. Uh, and is on a two-fight win streak because she beat Sarah McMahon before that. Lost to Jermaine Durandamy via guillotine choke before that. Uh, beat Nico Montano before that. So she's three and one in her last four. Uh, and that's going back to 2019. She had a two-year layoff after losing to Valentina Shevchenko in 2017. She was a massive underdog in the first fight. She's a plus 230 underdog here. Noon's the minus 275 favorite. Who you got? I'm going with Amanda Nunez. Uh, look, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in, in the way that you led into talking about this. It seems like something happened to her, right? And and she didn't look like herself. It didn't look like Juliana Pena beat the Amanda Nunez we all know and love and, and who went on that 12-fight winning streak and beat MMA royalty in the process. It, it didn't look like at any point in time she was, like, overwhelmed by Juliana Pena. It almost seemed like she was overwhelmed by being in a cage, period. Uh, and, and that you know, is a whole nother problem in its own right. And, and it's a whole nother problem that makes you worry about uh, whether or not you're laying money on her. But at the end of the day, like, I still feel like she's the more talented fighter here. I still feel like she's got more ways to win against Juliana Pena. I just have to, like, bank on the idea that she'll be herself in there. And, and to be fair, like, she's only not been herself once. Counting on it happening back-to-back, lightning striking twice here for Juliana Pena. I don't think it's a good idea, and especially, like, I mean, with that that price coming all the way down to plus 230, I, I don't think there's any tempt there on uh, Juliana Pena. And actually, I think I like the number on on uh, Amanda Nunes. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Amanda Nunes here. So I'm actually going to go with uh, Pena at the plus money, but if I'm going head-to-head, I like Nunes. I think there's enough I've seen out of Pena, and I don't know if Nunes is just on this, like, downward slide of her career at this point. That happens, okay? Like, we've seen plenty of greats go out on three, four-fight losing streaks. I don't necessarily think that's the case here. And again, head up, I like Nunes to regain her title. But based on what I saw in the first fight and thinking there's enough fight in that dog, I like that Pena gets the dog money. So, you know, if I was a casual better and just wanted to throw 50 bucks on someone, I don't mind Pena there. You can send your hate mail to Shockwave Dave. All right, let's move on. Uh, Brendan Moreno is a minus 205 favorite. Hold on, Gumby. This mice must be a typo. Brandon Moreno isn't fighting Devison Figueredo for <laughs> be. I didn't know that was allowed. I thought Brandon Moreno only fights Devison Figueredo. But I guess they're changing up the rules because Kai Kara France is stepping up to the plate. Plus 175 as a dog. This is a rematch, mind you. Um, now, as I mentioned, um, Brandon Moreno fought three times against uh Devison Figueredo lost his title back to Devison after beating him and now fighting Kaikara France in a rematch that Moreno won 
the unanimous decision back in December of 2019. If you want to know about Kaikara France, the man is surging. He's on a three-fight win streak. Wins over Cody Garbrandt via TKO, Rogerio Bontorin via KO, and coming off a unanimous decision win over Askar Askarov. Uh, but he is the dog here at plus 175, and Marino the minus 205 favorite to get himself back in title contention and just keep fighting Devison Figueredo till the end of time. Who you take him? I'm actually going to take Kaikara France here at plus 175. Ah. I, 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 yeah, and like, I, this isn't a fade on Brandon Moreno because I still do really like Brandon Moreno, but at the end of the day, uh, Kaikara France has looked really, really, really confident with his hands early in the fights uh, that I've seen him in recently. You know, in the Askar Askarov fight, he opened up a little bit more in the beginning than he typically does. Um, he looked really good in the, the, the loss to Brandon Royval until he got caught in the second round. I like the amount that he's opening up with his hands, and I think it comes from the fact that he has more faith in his takedown defense. He's not so worried about being taken down anymore because, I mean, he stuffed Askar Askarov, who might be the best wrestler at 125 pounds. So with that being said, I don't think Brandon Moreno has any threat of taking this fight to the ground. He's kind of taking a beating on the feet in those last three fights with Figueredo. And, and granted, yes, he did win one of those, and he drew another one, and he lost another one. But, like, he he went to war three different times, and that takes a toll on people. And, and I actually think the fact that, you know, Kaikara France has not been beaten down in his fights and looks a little bit fresher, I like that about him. And I like how quick he starts, and I like how powerful he is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Kaikara France here. Wow, I like it. And uh, that's not even our official dog of the week. We'll get to that in a second. So uh, let's move on, though, and I like that pick. Derek Lewis, uh, the aforementioned heavyweight fighter, is fighting this week, and him and Sergey Pavlovich are both minus 110, so Vegas doesn't know what to make of this fight. We'll be interested to hear what you make of this fight, but I do want to tell you that Lewis is uh, coming off a loss to Taitu Vasa, meet Chris Dawkins before that, TKO'd by Cyril Gain before that, and uh, KO'd Curtis Blades. So you can really see the UFC, he is pure gatekeeper status at this point. And obviously, uh, Sergey Pavlovich fits into that as a, as he is on a three fight win streak and getting himself in title contention. So of course the UFC says, well, prove it to us. You know, you go fight Derek Lewis. This is what Derek Lewis does. He takes people up and comers, people on win streaks. And if you could beat him, you get your title shot. And if you don't, you go back down. Um, the rankings. So this is a very tight fight. Who you got? I'm going to go with Derek Lewis here. Uh, I think the the problem for me with Pavlovich, he, he poses no threat of going to the ground here. Um, and with the exception of Tai Tuivasa, who, who really, I just took the absolute most violent shots that Derek Lewis had to offer and somehow didn't get knocked out. Uh, with the exception of Tai Tuivasa, People just don't stand with Derek Lewis for even 15 minutes and live to tell the tale about it unless they're being, you know, overwhelmingly cautious. And I don't see that out of Pavlovich. You know, I've also seen him get stung by, and granted it was a few years ago now, I saw him got stung by Overeem and finished. And like, yeah, I guess Overeem's more technical, but did, you know, does end of career Overeem hit harder than Derek Lewis? Hell no, nobody hits harder than Derek Lewis. So I think I like Derek Lewis's chance to knock him out here. I will say just in general, though, betting a Derek Lewis fight is like the most stressful thing in the whole planet because like the guy is just an anomaly in the way that he fights. No, Nobody fights like that dude because he I mean, like he'll go out sometimes and look violent and vicious. And then, 
he'll look like he did when he beat Ilya Latifi and, and kind of look lackluster and, and throw a whole bunch of jump knees. So if, if Derek Lewis fights the fight that I think he ought to fight and I think he will fight, I think he's going to knock Pavlovich out in there sometime. But I definitely am probably staying away from betting Derek Lewis ever again. <laughs> You know, I you bring up such a great point, Gumby, and I like the way you've laid this out and the way you're kind of going about it, strategizing it. Derek Lewis is one of, if not the most uh, frustrating person to try to handicap <laughs> and try to predict. But I think I've been burned enough times. Go into the fight expecting the best version of Derek Lewis. Yeah. That's all you can do. And if you expect the best version of Derek Lewis, he should win this weekend. So well, I agree with you. And also, here, here's the other thing. Even the best version of him sometimes shows up at the right moment, right? Like when he lost to Alexander Volkov, that was the worst version of Derek Lewis. And guess what? He won anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, our official dog of the week is Rafael Alves, a plus 175 over Drew Dober. Break her down. Yeah, I think Drew Dober comes into this fight as a favorite because of that win over Terrence McKinney. He is so damn durable, right? That's the thing about Drew Dober. But at the end of the day, that fight with Terrence McKinney showed me something. He could get cracked pretty easily. And now he didn't get knocked out. He did get wobbled a couple of times. He didn't get knocked out. But he can get cracked because his defensive striking isn't that good because his chin is that good. So he's never really had to focus on making sure he doesn't get hit. The difference between Terrence McKinney and Rafael Alves is Rafael Alves does not have a problem with emptying out his gas tank at the first sign of a finish. He's very patient. He's extra careful about stuff like that. And he's got a high level of submission skills. Not that McKinney doesn't, but he's also got a high level of submission skills. So I could definitely see him getting the better of Drew Dober striking, not jumping to conclusions. As we saw in the fight with Izmir Demir Ismagulov with Alves, is that he can go for 15 minutes and look great in the, the third round. So I love Rafael Alves here as a spot to upset Drew Dober. Our parlay to play, Drakkar Close, a minus 230 favorite, and Alexander Pantoja, a minus 175 favorite. So taking two, you know, two, basically two to one odds on both guys, more or less, uh, averages out to that. But parlay it together, get you plus 125, plus money. Let's hear it. Yeah, first of all, I think Drakkar Close might be one of the most underrated fighters in all of the UFC. The guy beat the hell out of Bobby Green. He beat Lando Venata. He took a split decision over Mark Diacasey, which, like, how good does that look right now is as good as that guy's looking. And, and he's lost twice. Once a decision to David Tamer, and once he was beating the shit out of Benil Dariush, who's now a top-five lightweight, who's fighting on the stacked UFC 280 pay-per-view. He was beating the hell out of Dariush until he got knocked out in kind of a weird comeback victory. So I think people sleep on Drakkar Closa, and I, I think he's getting a huge layup here with Rafa Garcia, who is a guy who, who is very easily hittable and tends to rely a little bit too much on, on his forward pressure. And I think Closa deals with that pretty easily. Pantoja here, I, I like against Alex Perez because Perez has been out for a really long time. And I would also say this about Perez. The thing I, I like about Alex Perez, and I do like Alex Perez, is he leans on his wrestling quite a bit. He's one of the very few guys at a, a 125 pounds who loves to wrestle and loves to use that top game pressure. You ain't beating Pantoja that way. And I think Pantoja's faster on the feet. I think Pantoja could get his jujitsu game going. So, yeah, I like Closa and Pantoja at plus 125. 
Boom. Well, we sure hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We enjoyed bringing it to you. Let us know on our social media, uh, at Top Turtle MMA, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. Gumby, tell us, where do we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Adam Fugit, who is fighting this weekend at UFC 277, and he found out about that fact only this past Wednesday. So we're talking to him about the whirlwind this last week has been for him. And, of course, we're going to get to that interview right after we tell you that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu general and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Adam Fugate. All right, and joining me today is Adam Fugate, who fights Michael Morales at UFC 277. That fight on this Saturday, July 30th. So, Adam... Uh, let's just start here. It, it has to have been a whirlwind of the last couple of days. I'm talking to you at Monday. You found out, you know, I, I'm assuming not that long ago. Has it set in that you're in the UFC yet? Like, have you had time to digest all this? <laughs> no, it's been a whirlwind of a ride. I, I found out um, last Wednesday, and, um, yeah, it just seems like time's been flying by. So, no, it um, just feels like it's time to go to work. That's what I've been preparing for. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm curious too because obviously you're you're coming off that really big win over Solomon Renfro, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that later. But were you expecting a call of this magnitude, a, a short notice type call, a contender series type call? Were you expecting something like this? Um, yeah, I have been um, I've been being told for a while that my name's kind of been thrown around and thrown out there, and to be ready. And so I just kind of took the mindset to um, you know. <laughs> Actually, I guess I can give the credit to my buddy, uh, Eddie Abasolo. He said, uh, if, if I must get prepared, I'll need many opportunities. If I'm always prepared, I'll only need one. So I kind of just took that mindset to stay ready and my, my shot will come and I'll be prepared for it. So I'm assuming, too, that's why th- this fight is able to happen at, at your natural weight class because we see so many fighters step in on short notice, have to go up a weight class, have to fight somebody way larger than them. Is that sort of why you, you've been keeping your weight down with this kind of thing in mind? 100%. you got to, you know, stay on the diet, um, basically try to maintain fight form, and just be ready when that call comes because it can come at any time. Absolutely. And, and now I am going to ask you to just share with us, do, do you have a fun story about when you got that call? What were the emotions that went through your mind? Because, you know, like you said, you're – you're ready, but you know the call. It's it's life changing. So what what was it like when you got that call? <laughs> I wish I could say that um, I you know I was doing something crazy or I was uh, in the middle of something, but I wasn't. I was really just at home, kind of hanging out with my dog. Um, I think I was playing some video games or something, just trying to relax because uh, I had another practice I had to go to, and uh, I got the phone call and. I wish my reaction was better, but I kind of just sat there speechless, like, uh, wait, this, this, this is actually happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish I could say it was better. It, it caught me by total surprise. I think my roommate at the time, um, was more surprised than, than I was. He, his jaw kind of dropped. He threw his hands up and <laughs> just looking at me like, what are you doing? So yeah, it was, it was utter silence to adrenaline rush. And then, yeah, 
it's just been a whirlwind ever since. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I want to ask you, leading into that fight with Solomon Renfro, that that sort of you know put you on people's map. You had a long time off. You know, it was 18 months to two years, somewhere in that range. You actually didn't have a fight during the pandemic in, until that Renfro fight. What was that like for you, having that long of a time off? Well, it's not for lack of trying, that's for sure. We, <laughs> we had five different fights lined up, um, four of which um, fell through. Um, either they felt – and really, every one of them fell through about the week of the fight. I think there was only one that fell through um, – that I think had three weeks left and that's the one that I got COVID on. But um, yeah, so I had full fight camps and everything I was preparing and for some reason um, they kind of fell through. So lack of trying was not the issue, but it was definitely, um, there was some nights, man, going to sleep that, you know, I would go to sleep, tell myself the next day, it's it's, it's time to, uh, (laughs) it's time to put my, my working jeans back on and start trying to find something new. And then, I wake up the next morning and the only thing I can really do to, to set my mind right and to, to, to make me whole again is just to get back in the gym and start training again. And that was just kind of the, the cycle of going through everything. Just, you know, when in doubt, get in there and train and be prepared. Well, I love that mentality. And, and that's great to hear. And now, obviously, then you get this fight against maybe one of the most highly touted regional prospects in Solomon Renfro, you know, a guy who, who is on a lot of people's tongue as being a future UFC fighter as well. After you knocked him out, I assumed that that's when all of this this sort of commotion about possibly being in the UFC came to you. That is when the uh, the madness started, I guess. You know, um, yeah, it was uh, after that knockout that I started getting um, these, these emails and these messages um, on social media, like you know, you got to be next. You know, your fights, you know, UFC's got to call you and let us know. And so yeah, it was definitely. Um, I was getting feeling that I, it was finally my time and um, that I was going to get this opportunity. I'm just, I'm just thankful that that fight came along when it did, and, and it definitely helped put me on the map. Yeah, and I, I got to ask too then, because you, you said you know through that whole time, you know you're you're contemplating possibly giving up the world of MMA and all that kind of stuff. That that fight with Renfro was five months ago too. So again, is is the layoff here like stressful for you? You know, hearing that you're this close, but then not hearing anything. It, it was getting stressful, definitely. It was getting stressful and disheartening and, um, you know, thinking like, oh, well, I guess I, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the fire is kind of lulling, you know. It's not as stoked as it was after the fight. I thought maybe I'd been forgotten about. I was like, okay, I'm looking at potentially another fight in LFA, potentially another high-level guy, um, thinking that, you know, going to have to do it again or just keep proving myself until I can't be denied. That Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you exit those two very stressful situations, a really long layoff and then a, another kind of low in that time. And now you have 10 days to prepare for your UFC debut. And not only a UFC debut, a UFC debut on UFC 277, a massive card in front of a huge live audience in Dallas. What were your thoughts on the fact that not only is it going to be a debut, you're not going to be one of those people who's debuting in the quiet apex or, you know, on Contender Series with like 10 people. You're going to be there in a packed pay-per-view full house. <laughs> well, you say it like that. You're giving me you're giving me sweaty palms right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I try to just keep it simple in my mind. It's time to go to work. It's time to show 
um, you know, everybody in the arena and everybody watching at home that, you know, I've been preparing over the, you know, through the, the course of the two year layoff and ever since the last fight, you know, I've done nothing but prepare and, you know, mixed martial arts is my life. I, I wake up and I go and I train and I coach and I just learn and, and yeah, this is what I do. Love it. Now, you're fighting a guy similar to Renfro, who is a highly touted young prospect in Michael Morales. Have you, in, in the, you know, at this time, there's only been four days since you got the call, but have you gotten much of a chance to, like, scout him and look at his fights? Were you familiar with him in the first place? I actually, I think I watched, actually, I don't think. I know I watched his last fight, um, and I did see his uh, contender series fight. And, you know, hey, another high-level uh, guy, super athletic. Um, he's on, on he's undefeated, so he's on a, a massive win streak. You know, I'm just happy that I get the opportunity to fight somebody of this caliber. caliber. You know, um, I'm always trying to fight the best guys that I can. Um, that, that's my goal in this thing is to fight the best that I can and, and prove that I belong. You know, it's it's I guess I have a, a little bit of a, a complex in that. I got I got to prove to myself that, you know, all the training is going to something. It's, you know, it's not, um, it's just not for nothing. It's absolutely not for nothing. And, and you know, I, I always like to ask fighters before I let them go for a prediction. Obviously, I haven't had much time to, to visualize this fight, but how do you see this fight going on Saturday? I think it's going to be action-packed. I think it's going to be um, – you know, that fight that shows everybody, like, my kind of fight style, you know, that it doesn't matter who's across the, the, the cage from me, that um, I am a, um exciting fighter. I like to bring the action. I like the action to be brought back towards me. And, you know, um, I just think that it's going to be a win-win for myself and the fans. And, yeah. Well, I'm we are excited. We are excited as well. And once again, fans, this has been Adam Fugate, who fights Michael Morales at UFC 277 this Saturday, July 30th. Adam, thanks so much for the time, man. Thank you so much, Dan. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, MMA Play 365. Remember that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.